My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Emma Lim and Rebecca Hamilton. Growing up in the 21st century means that the only reality you have ever known is life in the context of the growing climate crisis. Today's guests, both born since the turn of the century, don't remember a moment of learning, hey, there's this thing called climate change and it's a big deal. For them, it's always been there. They have, of course, learned more about it as they've gotten older. As that learning has progressed, and as the warnings from customarily understated and cautious scientists have taken on ever more apocalyptic dimensions, they have had moments of awakening to the true magnitude of what that crisis might mean for their lives, families, and communities. And a lot of the most obvious options around them for taking action consisted of fairly standard school-based environmentalism, which mostly focuses on things like recycling and lifestyle change. In other words, on measures vastly inadequate to the scale of what we collectively face. And that meant that, in the autumn of 2018, when they started to hear about youth in different places around the world going on regular strikes from school, walking out, taking to the streets, often gathering at some central point in their city to demand climate action, they had another moment. A moment of, yes, finally, here we are being called to an action that might, if we draw in enough people, if enough people support what we're doing, begin to approach what is needed. Emma Lim is 18 years old. She's a high school student who lives in London, Ontario. Rebecca Hamilton is 17 years old. She's also a high school student, and she lives in Vancouver, B.C. They are involved in organizing connected with Climate Strike Canada at both the national and local levels. Uh, and the local organizing in Vancouver happens under the name Sustainability Teams. For Lim, it started out late last year as just her striking in London, on her own, with a sign. Hamilton wasn't quite on her own in Vancouver, but her first climate strike was a relatively small group of students who occupied the office of the BC Minister of Environment and Climate Change Strategy. And from there, both plunged themselves into organizing. They were constantly reaching out to other young people, having conversations about issues and logistics, making phone calls, holding meetings, and organizing more events. Through the hard work of Lim, Hamilton, and many others like them, local organizing has grown across the country and has coalesced into Climate Strike Canada. They have developed a common set of demands, and school strike actions in recent months have involved hundreds of thousands of students in cities across Canada. And organizers have emphasized not only these periodic large-scale actions, but have intentionally built on the energy of those days to get growing numbers of youth going back into their schools and communities to engage in various forms of local climate action as well. For those at the center of the organizing, like Lim and Hamilton, it has been an intense crash course in how to make a movement. In the summer, the organizing is going to look different, but it will definitely continue. It will vary from city to city, of course, but in many places there will be an emphasis on community building as well as on training to build movement-relevant skills. There will be a focus on making climate action a central issue in October's federal election. And they're building towards the next big international climate strike, 
which will be part of an entire week of actions starting on September 20th, 2019. I speak with Lim and Hamilton about the climate crisis, about the youth climate strikes, and about their work as local and national organizers with Climate Strike Canada. And just some logistical notes on this interview. When the three of us connected, Lim was waiting for her high school graduation to start. Though she did her best to find a quiet spot, at moments there is quite a bit of background noise from bustling parents and graduates and so on, and I would ask you to be patient with that. And at a certain point, she had to sign off because the ceremony was about to start, and Hamilton and I finished the interview on our own. I'm Rebecca Hamilton. I'm 17 years old and a high school student in Vancouver, BC. I'm an organizer with Climate Strike Canada and with Sustainability, which is the Vancouver group of Climate Strike Canada. My name is Emma Lim. I'm 18 years old. I'm also an organizer with Climate Strike Canada. So growing up in the 21st century in Vancouver, I've always been aware of climate crisis. I don't think there was one moment when I suddenly realized that there is this catastrophe obscuring the horizon of my future. It was always there. I learned more and more about it as I got older. But then there's one moment when I realized that literally nothing else matters if our planet can't support life. Like it's useless to have dreams for the future and to try and build anything else if our civilization isn't going to be able to continue for decades to come. And so then I started getting involved. I got involved in a number of different things. And then I heard about climate striking. And climate striking really resonated with me because it was the first action I'd seen that really addressed this crisis with the scale and urgency it required. Like, I think a lot of messaging to high schoolers and younger people is that, yeah, sure, we're facing this big crisis. And the way to help is you personally driving less. And that just didn't seem to match. I think there's a big distance between the crisis that we're being told about and the action that we see being taken around us. And so climate striking goes against that because by not going to school, we're saying we are stopping our normal lives to prioritize climate action. And I think that's what the whole world needs to do. But my parents weren't thrilled with the idea of me missing a day of school every week. And so then I heard that there were some students across Canada who were thinking of striking once a month and that they were calling the first strike for December 7th during COP23. Uh, and that's one of the big United Nations meetings about climate change. This made a lot of sense to me. It was a moment, finally, aha, okay, I can participate. Once a month is okay. And so I brought a group of teenagers together that I knew from different events to organize the first December 7th event. I think prior to climate strike organizing, I felt very isolated and disconnected because I didn't know that many teens who really understood the level of crisis we were in and who were taking action on a systemic level. I think a lot of high school environmentalism is really focused on things like recycling and getting people to carpool more. And that just didn't really resonate with me. And so it was really exciting for me to have this opportunity to come together with other people who were thinking like I was and who I really connected with. And that has been a general theme throughout climate striking. I've had so many incredible people do this and the community really makes it amazing. What we did for the first strike was we occupied the office of the BC Minister for the Environment. So we had a turnout of around 40 people, which we were really excited by. And we had some press coverage. The energy that was generated through that event was really powerful. We all felt really connected and we hadn't really experienced that before. And so we kept going. And then we had a strike around Vancouver's motion to declare climate emergency. And we did some action around that. And it was passed unanimously, which was really exciting. And then we kept organizing and we ended up organizing really big March 15th and May 3rd strikes. And we've been doing a lot since then as well. 
my story is very similar to Rebecca's. I would just reiterate what she said, which is growing up in the 21st century, we learn in schools about chlorofluorocarbons, we learn about melting polar ice, we learn about all of these ecological disasters. And for many of us, it feels like we have little to no control over that. And the narrative is always that we as citizens in our society are responsible. And so I got involved in climate activism and climate striking when I really realized that the narrative is a really convenient narrative for the industry to push on us, which is that, you know, that we're at fault and that there's nothing we can really do because our nature is inherently corrupt. But when you realize that you aren't necessarily to blame and, and that solutions do exist and can be worked towards, it's a really empowering moment. So that really inspires me to strike. And so I remember hearing about Greta Thunberg in Sweden and the Fridays for Future movement, which was really gaining traction all over Europe. And so I remember sitting at my computer and looking for something like that in my own city. And then over the course of 10 minutes or so, realizing that there was nothing. And if I wanted to do something like that, I would have to do it by myself. And in my case, originally... <laughs> alone. But I think that there's a mindset that you have when you start organizing and when you start becoming an activist, which is that even if nobody turns up, you're still going to be there by yourself because you care that much and you're still that motivated. And so that was what drove me to begin setting up strikes in my own city. And it was that energy, I think, that drove me to lead the May 3rd demonstration at Justin Trudeau's Youth Summit, which was incredible, the energy there. And I think that's still what drives me. And I was also able to reach out nationally, and <laughs> here we are. So as you've been building this movement, how have you been reaching out to other young people to encourage them to get involved? I do intake for Ontario and lots of Canada, and I don't know if this sounds cliche or not, but what's really helped Ontario's climate striking structure become so strong is friendship. I mean, a lot of us are young people in the same boat, and so reaching out, offering support as someone who's been there and who knows what it's like and someone who's in the same fight, the bonds you build, I mean, Rebecca and I can speak to this, are really strong. And so... Our outreach is pretty not regimented. We try to keep it friendly and personable so that people who are being like connected to Climate Strike Canada feel like they're being connected to their peers instead of to an organization or a movement, which is a lot less personal. And then we have calls set up in Ontario and the Northwest Territories and now in several other provinces using the same structure where we connect on a really regular basis and make sure we're all on the same page going forwards. And on a local mm -hmm. level, we really coalesce quite organically because I think there's so many young people who feel really scared about climate change, but there's no real outlet for that. And so they just feel conflicted and alone. So I think there's a lot of untapped energy. And I think that we are providing an outlet for that. And so I think people hear about a strike, they go with their friends, they realize like, wow, this energy is powerful. And wow, this is like what I've been looking for. And then they reach out to us. At this point, it's mostly people reaching out to us. And at the beginning, it was mostly a couple of us like knew each other from earlier events. And it was just sort of word of mouth, like who we thought would be interested in getting involved. But then the teams changed a fair amount. And yeah, people are looking for this. And so, so it's not very hard to get so them involved. Inspiring. What kinds of conversations do you have with peers and classmates who aren't already dedicated and knowledgeable climate activists? People are pretty receptive to it. I think people are aware that this is a problem. Like, there isn't really a lack of awareness. I think the main negative response we get is, like, cynicism or feeling like, well, what does me marching in the streets do? Or, like, we can't solve this anyway. Like, we're just teenagers. 
those are sort of the main negative responses because what we're doing is pretty different from what people are used to. My classmates aren't really used to going to protests. It's not really like part of the culture here in many ways, unlike how it is, say, in Montreal. I think it's sort of a new concept for people. In some ways, the concept of like, we need to change the system instead of just like changing individual actions. But also, I think young people are so much more receptive to this than adults because I think we're still in touch with our imaginations. We're less entrenched in the status quo. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, we grow up hearing about these issues in school. We learn about these issues and we also learn to take science very seriously. I haven't met someone my age yet who hasn't been supportive of what I'm doing and who hasn't wanted to get involved in some way, even mm-hmm. if it's very small. Mm-hmm. And the energy was the same at the youth summit, which I led the demonstration at. I was the only climate activist there, but of the 300 people attending, 100 of them laid down and did a die-in to protest the dangers of inactivity on this climate crisis. I mean, that's 100 out of 300 people pretty spontaneously did this with with me and the small group I had just because I talked to them over the course of the few days. And I mean, I think that's just how dire it is. And people our age know this. At least like in our communities. Yeah. This is partly colored by me living in Vancouver. I know we have like climate strike peers from other parts of the country where their conversations with classmates are different. And what has the organizing been like more recently now that the movement and the actions have grown so much? Here in Vancouver, we organized a major strike on March 15th, which was an international strike day, as well as May 3rd, which was a national strike day. And we had around 2,000 people and 3,000 people respectively show up for those two days. The organizing for that, it's easier to organize a march, I think, than some people think. But there's also lots of things that you wouldn't necessarily consider. Like, definitely a couple months ago, I could not have imagined that I, along with like a small group of other teenagers, would be doing this. And it's just about making sure that you know what needs to happen and like getting different people to do it. It's just thinking through the event. It's so much work building up to one day, and then it feels so good. But also, I think we've been really intentional to not just be doing these big one-off actions. We're really trying to make sure that there's a clear narrative and that we have clear next steps, because there's a lot of energy generated at these major rallies, and we want to channel that into local organizing. And so, for example, on our first strike, our ask was that people in their communities, like in their schools, that they set up school teams. I'm just figuring out how that all works out and figuring out what's most effective, like what would be most effective in terms of our demands. It's easier to plan a demonstration than you would think, but there's also a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that you would never Mm -hmm. think of. I mean, a lot of big actions, they don't happen spontaneously. I mean, a lot of the momentum and the energy really does happen spontaneously, but huge numbers come from constant outreach, constant making connections. In high school, we still don't really understand how the world works in many ways. I think our school system is so disconnected from the real world. So I think it's been a huge learning experience. I think we've learned a lot about just how the world works, how different systems go on. We've learned so many important skills as well, like how to really work in groups and how to create a movement with other people. And I think this is probably one of the hardest parts that I hadn't anticipated. Before I really got involved, I always had this conception of like movements being just all these people working in the exact same direction, working together perfectly, and it just all worked out because they were all working on the same thing. 
And like, it's true. Everybody who I've met through this is an incredible person, but people are different. And working together is just like a difficult human thing. And speaking for myself, I think I really learned a lot about that. Have either of you or any of the folks you've been working with faced any consequences for engaging in climate striking? I can talk about this one. I mean, I'm at my high school graduation right now, sitting in the hall, and I miss prom. So there's these social consequences to devoting so much time to this. But I mean, I don't see them so much as consequences because I feel like what I'm doing is so necessary that these aren't consequences. They're just things that have happened because what I'm doing has to happen. But certainly, I think I annoy my teachers with my constantly (laughs) not at school on Fridays. And there's academic consequences as well. When you're spending six, seven hours a day organizing these strikes, organizing nationally, thinking about all of these things that people our age don't usually think about, it's hard to keep up academically. And when you're so consumed with the idea of the climate crisis, it's hard to put your schoolwork and your friends and your social life first. So there's all of these small consequences. And then there's also legal consequences. I've been very lucky that I haven't been charged yet, but I have been removed from my legislative assembly, the Toronto one, twice. So there's more tangible consequences as well. But what we do is necessary. So, How does the coordination of the climate strike organizing at the national level work? Through lots of group chats. We have a Slack channel and video calls. It's difficult to set up a structure. We've learned a lot about like what it means to live and organize in Canada because this country is so huge and so it definitely affects how much national coordination happens and like we can do. So basically we have a couple of different working groups doing different things like communication and website and training and graphics. And then we have a couple of people who connect with all the different local strike organizers. And so we have space for local groups to learn from other groups. So our goals with national coordination are that nobody should need to reinvent the wheel. Like, for example, in BC, a strike started in Kelowna near Vancouver. And we in Vancouver had already had experience organizing strikes. And so it doesn't make sense for the new strike scene to reinvent the wheel. So we exist to share learning with each other and to help each other out. And also, we have such a stronger voice when we're coordinated, especially in the bill towards the federal election. And if we have a unified message with like tens of thousands of young people across the country, that's a lot of thousands. really powerful. <laughs> yeah, hundreds of thousands. So many, so many young people. And it's always just really cool to have this community across the country. I was recently in Halifax and I was able to join their strike and to meet them all. And we're really the same across Canada. We have the same drive and the same energy and the same sense of community. But one thing about national organizing also is that it's different. Our country is so diverse politically, geographically. So the impacts of climate change are different. The way that provincial governments are addressing these impacts is completely different. So there's all of these specific challenges. But yeah, again, like Rebecca said, just being together and knowing that you're not striking alone in your city. You're striking with hundreds of cities, with hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of students. And being able to actually, in our last national strike, we had solidarity call-outs when we were speaking. So we would say, I'm standing here in solidarity with the strikers in Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal and all of these locations across Canada. And we're all of us together giving you the exact same message, which is that we need urgent and immediate action to address the climate crisis. And national organizing is about that unified message that we send together. 
You mentioned earlier that at the big strike actions, you have things that you encourage people to go back and do locally in their schools and communities. Talk more about that. After March 15th, our main ask for people to bring back to their communities was to set up teams in their schools to create local communities to talk about climate justice and to take action in their schools. And so a number of different schools did this, and we had a number of different weekly in-school action ideas they could do. One popular one was the Climate Ribbon Ritual. It was designed by a group of artists and activists and faith leaders for the 2014 People's Climate March in New York. What it consists of is you take a ribbon and you write on it the answer to the question, what do I love and hope to never lose to climate chaos? And then all of these ribbons are hung out together and it creates a really beautiful collaborative sculpture. I really like this project because as a society, we don't talk, and even in our movement, we don't talk enough about the huge emotional toll of impending climate doom. There's so much grief that's involved. And then at the local level, we've also been presenting to all of the municipal city councils in Metro Vancouver. We're trying to get to every council to remind them that we're in a climate crisis and to take action. And so our two demands for that are one, for them to declare climate emergency, which already a number of municipalities in the region have done, and two, to adopt emission reduction targets of 65% greenhouse gas emission reductions by 2030. So those are the main things we've been doing in the community level. We've also represented ourselves in a number of different local events. And then coming out of May 3rd, we're talking more about the election. So nationally, we're really building up towards the federal election because this election needs to be a referendum on climate action. Either we come out of this with a climate leader or we don't. And that difference will have a major impact on really the future of civilization. We're still figuring out some details of what that campaign is going to look like now. So that was our main next steps message coming out of May 3rd. And then also continuing to just build the internal structure of our movement and bringing more people in to organizing and getting involved. And so after every strike, we have a training meeting to intake people to do that. How's the organizing going to change over the summer? We want people to feel as excited about climate justice and this movement as they do about the beginning of summer. We are not going away in the summer. Organizing will look a bit different, but we really want to see the summer instead of a lapse and a losing momentum. Instead, we're going to be building momentum and we're going to continue to grow because, I mean, we'll have a lot more time and there's so many fun things we can do in the summer. We're really going to be focused on community building and on training. So we're going to do lots of events like potluck dinners and different arts events to really emphasize how this movement isn't just about angrily yelling in the streets. This is about changing how we do everything. And that starts from the actions that we're taking as a movement and as a community and how we interact with each other. So we're going to be doing a lot of those community events. We don't have a lot of clear plans because largely we're going to be splitting more into neighborhood groups. So right now, organizing is mostly done with folks from all across Metro Vancouver, which has been great. But in the summer, we really want to focus on neighborhood level. And so each group is going to have autonomy to organize like whatever works best for them. We have a ton of ideas for that, but like specific plans are still in the works. And then we're also going to be doing training because high school doesn't prepare you well for the revolution. They don't teach you things like how to organize a big group of people. They don't teach you like how to really think critically about how we're doing things right now and how to imagine a different reality. And so we're going to be doing trainings on a wide variety of different things to create a generation of leaders across Canada. That's going to be our focus, at least here in Metro Vancouver. And I know that a lot of other communities across Canada have similar plans, especially with training. And all of this is really going to be focusing on building up to our major September week of action. 
So we're going to be kicking off a week of action on September 20th, which is an international school strike day and is ahead of the September 23rd Climate General Assembly in New York. So we're going to be sending a message to our leaders. Remember us when you're negotiating and remember whose future you're fighting for. And then we're going to have actions for that whole week in all communities across the country. And it's going to build up to a general strike on September 27th. And so we're asking all adults, whoever can, we need everybody involved to strike with us on September 27th. Climate Strike Canada's list of demands includes things that people might predict, like reducing greenhouse gas emissions, ending subsidies for fossil fuel companies, stopping new fossil fuel infrastructure projects, and conserving biodiversity. But as some of your answers have already indicated, you also have a climate justice orientation. How is that reflected in your demands and in your organizing? So it's really important to us to recognize that this isn't just about reducing emissions. The climate crisis is a manifestation of problems woven into every part of the foundation of our society. So if we're going to solve this crisis, we really need to dig deep and change things from the bottom up. For example, this movement is not about getting everybody to drive an electric car instead of a gas car, because we can't just electrify our current system. That's not sustainable. So instead, it's about imagining like, wow, how can we create a really strong public transit system in our communities? And it's recognizing that these actions we need to take to stop the climate crisis will also make our communities better right now. So creating accessible public transit that's really high quality and is cheap and is free makes mobility easier for all members of our community, especially youth and low-income folks who really depend on public transit. So that's how we think of climate justice and recognizing that not only do we need to change these other things in order to address climate crisis, it's our opportunity. We need to change a lot. And this is our opportunity to change things like the patriarchy and white supremacy. Climate crisis doesn't affect everyone equally. It exacerbates existing divisions. And so we need to recognize that if we're going to solve it in a just way. How that plays into Climate Strike Canada organizing is our demands are really focused on intersectionality. For example, our third demand is a just transition. So we can't just stop all oil and gas jobs and not give other options for the people who feed their families from those jobs. Another one of our demands is full implementation of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. It's really important to us that decolonization must be a part of climate justice. And then we also have a demand around protection for vulnerable groups. So recognizing that climate crisis is already causing deaths and causing destruction all across the world, and millions of people are being impacted and are going to be impacted. And part of climate justice needs to be taking that into account and making sure that we are helping communities that are disproportionately impacted adapt. And then we really try and approach all of the organizing we do and all the events we do with an intersectionality lens. And a lot of our conversations around like strategy and next steps really take this into account. You have been listening to my interview with Emma Lim of London, Ontario, and Rebecca Hamilton of Vancouver, BC, about the work of Climate Strike Canada. To find out more about that work or to find Climate Strike organizing happening near you, go to climatestrikecanada.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.